Gentlemen, welcome to No Budget Nightmares. This is Mo. He's a bad film hating while I skating all the while masturbating. That's, That's Mo Pawn, yeah. yeah. And with me, as always, is the one and only Doug Tilly. He's bow, Doug bow, Tilly, bow, bow, number bow, one super bow, guy. Bow, bow. Mo, I'm yes. back here on the No Budget Nightmares podcast with you, my delightful co-host. And I'll mm. tell you what, Mo, I'm feeling really, I'm feeling really good, Mo. I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. Good, good, because. I mean, let's face it. Our most recent episode on a film called "Where the Dead Go to Die," <laughs> it, it was not our most most energetic performance. No, definitely in not. Fa- in fact, I would go as far to say, and I said that on a recent podcast, that I think it might be our one of our worst, if not our worst, episode ever. At least from the perspective of a host. Right. It's not. It wasn't fun for me. I do not look back upon it fondly. Uh, I do know that some people listened to it and then they went and wanted to watch the movie, which, again, we tried to tell people not to do. And we're we, serious. We're not just joking around. But but honestly, I mean, it's we've been doing the show for, you know, six plus years, right? Has it been yeah. that long? Yeah, something six, like that. Yeah, something like six. Something <laughs> we're like so six, old, Mo. <laughs> I know. We, we've been doing the show for six plus fucking years. And since episode one, we've been saying don't watch the movie. And there's always somebody out there who is either a already seen it or b wants to immediately rush out and watch it but it's you know like you you gotta trust us people you gotta trust us when we say don't watch the movie just don't watch it yeah but anyway let's not talk about that movie anymore because that bums me out i don't want to think about the past mo i'm thinking about the future and by the future i mean movies from the past (laughs) (laughs) that's my favorite time from, well in the past, in fact. We're back on the shot on video train. We're moving away from modern Jimmy Screamer Claus movies. And we're going all the way back to, really, the mid-1980s. 1986, the year punk broke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and a movie that I've been uh, hearing a little bit about over the last couple of years, but uh, I had not seen. And I do want to mention, by the way, the movie that we're going to be talking about this week is called Cards of Death. Mo. Yes. Yes, from the year 1986. Mm-hmm. And uh, for those of you in the United States, I'm not sure if this is solely the United States, but I know it, it, it exists in the United States. This movie is available on the Shudder application, the Shudder streaming service for horror uh, and horror-adjacent movies. What's horror-adjacent? Well, I say that because... Uh, <laughs> Because I've been watching a, a lot of Shudder lately, uh, Mo, and so should you be, since I gave you my login information. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's got uh, like um, the uh, Takashi Miike Dead or Alive movies and uh, Battle. Yeah, you know, okay. it's got like All it's right. got stuff that isn't 
strictly horror, but right. you know, it fits into that exploitation y realm. Fair enough. And speaking of exploitation realm, Cards of Death from the year 1986. Now, I've got a fun fact about Cards of Death for you, Mo, that you might find really interesting. It might help you wake oh, up a little bit. I'm wide awake, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hit me with it. Well, here's the thing about Cards of Death. This movie was basically unavailable at all for 28 years. And in fact, in 1986, when it was completed, the only place in the world, Mo, you could get a copy was in Japan, where it was released on VHS. It wasn't released in North America at all. That is weird. It was considered this sort of lost uh, shot on video, you know, um, uh, holy grail uh, until it was unearthed. And Bleeding Skull, a video, helped uh, release it on DVD a few years back. Um, yeah, so 28 years. And also, huh. Mo, do you know anything about the guy who directed Cards of Death? I don't even know the name of the guy who directed Cards of Death. So. Well, I'll tell you his name. His name was William McMillan, uh, a.k.a. W.G. McMillan. Uh, and he was uh, born in Ohio. But w- what's interesting about him as a director is that he's actually a fairly well-known Mo as an actor. This isn't just some nobody off the street, some... Uh, you know, or even like a, an enthusiast of horror or something on those lines. This is a guy who was in his mid-40s, was a very popular actor, was in uh, The Enforcer, the Clint Eastwood movie, was one of the stars of George Romero's The Crazies. And he huh. decided in 1986 that he was going to make a very, very strange shot on video movie, <laughs> which might explain, by the way, that why the quality of this movie outside of its shot on video-ness is a cut above a lot of the movies of that time period. True. I mean, if you compare this to something like blood cult uh it really is you know it's it's trying to do something a lot more uh esoteric and interesting it isn't just trying to do kind of a not i don't want to insult blood cult too much do just a lame like police procedural right though there are are lame policemen in this oh come on he with the yeah okay Uh, 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 i wanted to make you (laughs) sputter with anger (laughs) All right, yeah, there are lame policemen, but there's also one of the greatest policemen of all time. The great policeman of all time, policeman of all time, I should say, Gunny. And we'll talk about Gunny in just a little bit. Now, Mo, when you think of the word Gunny, what do you think about? Um, That's like a naval term, right? Like gunnery sergeant or something. I don't know. That's gunnery, yes, but no, Uh, that's not Gunny, Mo. I don't know. What what do I think of? Okay, you tell me what I think of when I think of Well, Mo, when you hear the word gunny, of course you think of a gunny sack, which is a euphemism for a condom. Oh, I have have literally never heard that term before. Gunny sack, Mo. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe one of your lead characters, or nicknaming him Gunny, for me, was a constant source of amusement in 1986's Cards of Death. And I think the listeners right now can tell that I'm in a much better mood, Mo, than when we talked about Where the Dead Go to Die, which was full of a lot of really unpleasant subject matter. Interestingly enough, Cards of Death also has a lot of really unpleasant subject matter, but I enjoyed it all the more, Mo. Well, it's very different. It's it's differently done. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Is it? <laughs> it? It is. It is. Like, the way they handle the fucking, you know, the the the... the subject matter as you will um you know in in that other movie god i don't even want to say the name um you know it's it's painful and it's i think it's intentionally traumatic you know whereas in this one i feel like it's a lot more playful it's a lot more dare i say goofy you know and uh and it comes off a whole lot less sinister and serious it also has one of those 
moments, Mo. One of those uh, squares on your No Budget Nightmares bingo cards where one character references the fact that the situation is like another horror movie or like a <laughs> horror movie in general. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> I think I wrote on Twitter lately that uh, when someone does that in a movie, I call it the Todd Sheet special. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, that does happen in this movie. And in fact, that particular moment, which we'll talk a lot about a little bit later on, kind of, I think, gives you a bit of a hint about the kind of movie they were trying to make here. Right. Um, and whether they succeeded or not, well, I guess we'll talk about that starting right now. Mo, Cards of Death, 1986, starts with the uh, 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 some feet walking across some pavement, a parking lot of some sort. And we see a gentleman walking across it. What's this gentleman all about? Who's this guy that we're, we're seeing here, Mo? Well, his name's Captain Twain. and uh, But we don't know that yet. We don't know that for a while. Uh-huh. Um, and he's sort of walking and he picks a lock to some building and enters into it and he's kind of looking around uh you know flipping lights on here and there now you don't really get a sense of what this building is about it just seems like a fairly empty building absolutely um you know he'll flip lights on uh it's always red for some reason so he decides to use his lighter instead now i'm gonna tell you i actually had really hoped that this guy was going to be the main character because he looks a lot like zap rousedower you know what mo i wish you could see my notes right now because i have <laughs> rousedower in block letters rest in peace <laughs> zap rousedower mo yeah. do you know anything else about this captain twain anything that might be uh pertinent to the making of this movie uh, I'm going to assume that you do <laughs> because you always ask loaded questions like that when you do. No, I have no idea. So why don't you hit me with the with the fun fact? All I'm going to say is that Captain Twain is uh, acted is acted. Jesus, what's wrong with me? Wow. Uh, the the character of Captain Twain is uh, performed by W. G. McMillan, the director ah. of the film. That's right. Uh, the, which which would have made it that much better of. Of a movie, if a, if a known actor who's been in real movies, you know, not that this isn't a real movie, but you know what I mean. Well, here's the like, thing. Here's the thing. Captain Twain can't provide the necessary beefcake that we're going to need later on in the movie. Yeah, I, I guess. I guess not. Although, uh, although he does heartily attempt to some fucking comic relief at the end. <laughs> well, we will get to that in this very yeah. not not comic movie. Boy, okay. Anyway, we will talk about that later. It is a highlight. Yeah. Uh, so but let's, as- let's talk. Let's but let's talk about our favorite part of this scene, though, the music. So let's listen. Now, this is um, representative of the music that you'll hear throughout the entire movie. It's very synthy. Yeah, it's pretty weird. Let's have a little listen. I would have preferred some Anokian key. <laughs> I will say, look, it is, it's kind of irritating because it's so repetitive in this opening sequence, but I will say that it is kind of weirdly effective for the rest of the movie, simply because... It works. It, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, it is, this isn't a movie that is just kind of, that doesn't have the guts to play around with its visuals. It's doing some interesting things here, and the right. lighting is very strange and and uh, and and off putting. So you know, it, I guess it makes sense for the music to follow suit. Right. They do a lot of stuff with uh, digital effects too. Um, you know, I mean, it's pretty standard shot on video stuff, but the way they do it is it works. So now, Mo, while uh, Rousedower is looking around this uh, place, <laughs> um, the opening credits are. 
being uh, shown on the screen. There's nothing really that interesting about it, though I do want to draw the audience's attention to the fact that it mentions the theme song, Cards of Death, (laughs) which is written and composed by Anna Ferraro, which we'll hear at the end of this episode, Mo. I don't know what I was expecting when I read that title card at the beginning of the movie, but I can tell you I was not expecting what we got. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I actually... um... Well, I, I now I rarely do this, as you know, but I I sat and listened to the entire song at the end of the movie. Then I actually went back and listened to it again because I realized the first time I listened to it, I was still on one point five speed. So I wanted to hear how it sounded normal <laughs> on one point five speed. It's fucking batshit insane. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I feel like we're talking about it too much without being uh, being able to play it, but we will. We're going to hear a big chunk of it, folks, so uh, so don't you worry. Before we get to that, we have our Captain Twain. He's still wandering around this building looking for something. He he like pulls back a curtain, goes inside, and then he hears a strange noise, Mo. And then someone says this. Freeze, motherfucker. I'll blow your goddamn head off. And you will find it very difficult to think with your brain splattered on a wall, won't you? <laughs> Uh, the person making that very good point, Mo, is named Hog. Hog. Hog, Mo. Now, what's Hog all about? Tell us about Hog. Hog is one of easily top ten favorite villains in one of these movies that we've covered today. Absolutely. He, he's fucking insane. Like, he's uh, he honestly feels like he'd be way more at home um, as, like, one of the good guys in a John Waters film, <laughs> you know, like, like he revels in his, perver- in his, uh, perverse, you know, nature. Sure. Um, you know, he's sick as fuck. Like he actually complains at one point because he has to de weird. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like he's like, he's like, it took me a long time. I don't like being this normal. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but he is also currently dressed as a Nazi, I believe. He is dressed as a Nazi, so that's something. That, I would say that's a point against him. That is a uh, point against him. Or, I mean, since he is the villain, it might be a point for him. It does make you a better villain. At least it would in any year that wasn't 2018. Yeah, um, right. He tells uh, uh, the captain. <laughs> like, <laughs> he tells the captain that he they're going to play a game called Slow Motion. So that game involves move slow. Or it'll be no motion, because you'll die. <laughs> Sounds like a fun game. He's not alone, by the way, Mo. He has a good friend named Tracy. Tracy is with him, Mo. She also appears to be a Nazi. She has a swastika on her face. Well, the funny thing is that's the only time, like, that's the only time they're ever dressed as Nazis. Yeah, that's In right. the entire movie, it's the only time. So you sound bummed so about just... that fact, Mo. Mo no, 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 not, not bummed at all, just feel like it, it was a weird choice seeing as they never went back to it yeah yeah know? yeah and there's no there's, they actually don't play into that at all even because later they have interactions with the person of color who and it does not end well for that person but it doesn't seem to have anything to do with their race uh it has know. more yeah so maybe it's just a costume oh maybe they're just doing it for well, the that- lulls well, that well, that's what I was. That's what I was thinking was that it was maybe it was like an easy way for the director to show that these guys are the bad guys because we did just watch a guy who up until this point had no idea who he was. 
Like he hasn't been introduced yet. That's true. Um, you know, and he we did see him pick a lock and break into this place, you know, and pull out a gun. So easily you could have assumed he was the bad guy until the Nazis pull a gun on him. So maybe that was done on purpose. Either way. It could uh, also, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think that's a. It is a very easy way to kind of give us the the good and bad sides here. They they right. pull Captain Twain's wallet where we it reveals that he is Captain Twain. He does have a gun as well, um, and he. Uh, th- there's a suggestion that there's people in the background around them, but we don't see them at this moment because we don't really know what this whole setup is about at this right. point. Right. So the captain uh, at first is very silent, but then he starts to talk. This is a very long segment, by the way. Um, and and he tells them to give it up. He tries to to bluff his way through the situation, even though he is totally fucked at this point. No doubt about it. And they seem to realize that because Tracy, the female of the pair, uh, she starts uh, getting her kid off, as they say. She takes off her top mo and starts uh, giving him a little nipple action. Right. And, and, you know, she's, like, taunting him, and then she says this. Tracy wants you to touch her nipples, Captain. Go on. <laughs> touch them. Tracy, don't mind. I hate that she talks in third person. She's not the rock mo. She doesn't get to yeah. talk in the third person like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So uh, she does indeed open her shirt. Hog, in fact, tries to push the captain to touch her because, again, like you mentioned, Mo, he's very open about his kinks. Uh, and, in fact, the captain, because he is compliant, he doesn't want to get anyone riled up. He does fondle her. That also might be because he's the director of the movie. <laughs> um, and then she starts, like, you know, pl- taunting him a little more. Uh, and then the captain... He shows that he's a tough guy after all, Mo. He spits all over her boobs. Correct. And so there, there, there is something we forgot to mention before, and that's that at one point, Hog asks Tracy to go get hors d'oeuvres for him. She brings oh, yeah. out, mm-hmm. she brings out cheese and crackers. This is important because of what happens next. <laughs> I'm glad that you brought that up, Mo, because you're right. It does play into it because not only does she bring cheese and crackers, she also brings a cheese spreader. And uh, when he spits on her, when Captain Twain spits on Tracy, she picks up that cheese spreader. Mo, what does she do? She slices his fucking nose off. She cuts off his nose despite his face. Wow. And, th- and she also slices uh, his hands a bit. Yeah. It's pretty brutal. It's actually, I think, the most brutal act of violence. I mean, in terms of visible violence that you see in the movie. Right. But it's a shame that it happens before the 15 minute mark. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, I'll tell you what, you gotta you gotta kick things off with a bang, and that's what they do here. And by a bang, I mean a nose getting sliced off by a cheese spreader. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Then it see he screams at the camera. That scene ends, Mo. And now we're getting into the plot proper because we're in a police station. I do have to say, I think every single 1980s shot on video movie, like mostly takes place in a police station. <laughs> Or the woods. Or the woods. Well, you know, this is before people realized they could use the woods. <laughs> oh, that's true. That is way, that is more of a early to mid-90s thing where they start really doing the woods. 
You're right. We see a lot of a lot of lot of office building police stations. <laughs> That's exactly right, and people not necessarily in uniform. Uh, <laughs> so we see a cop. I love the fact that there's just one officer that has a that is just his black cap that says police on it. <laughs> hey, that's what police officers wore back then. It was a much looser time period. So right. we see a cop. He makes coffee. There's another guy watching football on the TV. This cop that we see here, Mo, this is Gunny Gunther. Though he's just going to be known as Gunny for the entire movie. Gunny, Mo, what's Gunny all about? I think we already talked about him a little bit. Gunny. <laughs> um. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's really into latex. And yeah. Yeah. Lubricants. No. Uh. So he's. God, how do you even fucking describe him? He's got a fucking ridiculous haircut. Um. It's, like like all, he almost has like a haircut that would that would fit in well with like the modern emo crowd. Like it's almost like that swoop over thing. He does have a swoop going. I mean, he looks to be in yeah. his forties. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and he, we see him like he's introduced as kind of a button down character, but he will be wearing a series of more extreme and ridiculous outfits for the rest of the movie. Right. Currently, it's probably his most conservative, which consists of a shirt that's unbuttoned halfway down his chest. He's just been working too hard, man. Right. Well, anyway, Gunny has a package delivered to him at the police station. Some of the cops, they mock him a little bit. They want to know what's inside this package, Mo. He takes it into a room. He opens it. What does he find? He finds the nose, I believe an ear, and mm-hmm. uh, a few fingers. He finds some face pieces and some fingers. <laughs> and his response is this. This is fucking sick. No matter how long you're in this business, you never get used to this kind of shit. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Gunny is hilariously foul-mouthed. Yeah. There will be a sound clip a little later where he says fucking like three times in two sentences. It's like a new world record. <laughs> well, the other cop who isn't a tough guy like Gunny, uh, he gets sick, you know, like he's a young guy. So Gunny gets him to, to have some coffee and then he tells one of the cops to run prints on the fingers, basically, you know, get them checked up, see if they, they can find out who they belong to. They also mention, and this is not a coincidence, that Captain Twain has not been in today and they go looking for him as well i do love the fact that the entire time he's talking about these body parts that he just got in the mail he's like poking them with a pencil (laughs) (laughs) like the whole time just poking them it's a really interesting balance because he both has to be like oh this isn't the only time we've run into crazy stuff like this like he's seen it all apparently but he's also completely exasperated by the whole thing like he says (laughs) it's not enough that we have eight murders in eight weeks we find the bodies every thursday now this shit Come on, Gunny. You got to relax, man. Relax, Gunny. So then, Mo, we are introduced to the cards of death. And by cards of death, I mean a poker table where uh, much of the bad guy action is going to happen for the rest of the movie. The card game at the core of cards of death is a little hard to describe because it doesn't have any defined rules. Right. Which I actually think is a real... A problem with this movie because it kills the tension of these sequences where they're playing the game if you don't know who's winning, who's losing, or how one could win or lose. No, you're not wrong. I'm not wrong, Mo. That's what I'm trying to put. But just to give just to give the listeners an idea of what the game is all about, it has something to do with if you have debts, you're trying to relieve them very quickly, 
you can win a lot of money at this game, but if you lose, the winner has to kill you. Something along those lines. Yeah, they have 24 hours. And everyone who plays the game has to wear, like, rubber Halloween masks. Yeah, so, I actually really dig the masks. Me too. To Again, it, it, it uh, there's there's a lot of really interesting visuals going on here. Now, and there's also a lot of neon <laughs> in the background of the sequences during the games. Hey, you know what? I lived in the 1980s, Mo. We loved neon back then. That's true. We, lo- we loved neon so much that there was a uh, football player, Deion Sanders, and people called him Neon Dion. I have no idea what you're talking about. Deion Sanders, the famous football player and commentator. And he was also very well known, I think, because he played two sports. He was also a very capable baseball player. Oh, are you, are you talking about Dan Cortez? No, though Dan Cortez. <laughs> <laughs> Making jokes here. Very good. Very good. But anyway, uh, uh, multiple sport athlete, Deion Sanders, known as Neon Dion. But back to the movie. <laughs> there is a, a woman, and she is opening up a pack of large cards and mo they appear to be tarot cards wouldn't you say i wouldn't say they appear to be they are tarot cards so that's what makes this particularly difficult she is passing out tarot cards everyone is acting like they understand how the <laughs> this this gambling game works but we as the audience never really are able to figure it out so it's mo- more the tension only comes when someone says you lose or you win right and if we want to see the kind of dipshit loser who plays a game like this, we then cut to an apartment where we see a woman and someone who is ostensibly her husband. And he has his jacket on, and he says that he and some guys are getting together for a card game. And the suggestion here, Mo, is that he is a uh, uh, addicted to gambling. And uh, loses quite a bit. He must lose quite a bit. He looks like a loser, uh, frankly. And uh, mm-hmm. he, he looks kind of like a sad sack. His wife, uh, she looks like... Clearly a, hates him. Clearly hates him. <laughs> So, uh, I mean, honestly, this was the most relatable <laughs> aspect of the movie for me. Doug Tilly, the co-host of No Budget Nightmares. <laughs> what, having a wife who hates you? Yeah, yeah. And being <laughs> a, and being kind of a henpecked loser. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> back to the police station. Uh, we find out a little bit more about this package. We find out that there's no way to trace back the package to where it was mailed from because it wasn't actually mailed. And we also discovered, Mo, sadly... Who the fingers belong to? Who do they belong to? Captain Twain. The fingers? You're not going to like this. They were Twains. What? Captain Twains. Yeah. Twains. Bastard. Bastard! Bastard. It is strongly suggested that Gunny and Twain were and are good friends. Right. And by saying we're an R, that might give away what's going to happen a little bit later. <laughs> Back to the card game, Mo. Very exciting. People cutting some cocaine. It's the 1980s. Cocaine. I heard, Mo, that cocaine's making a bit of a comeback in the year 2018. What, what's, uh, what's the word on the street? Uh, down here, everybody does meth. So meth. No oh, idea. right. The the state of uh, Florida. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, if I, if I was still in Connecticut, I could definitely tell you, but... Down here, everybody does meth. This is the sequence where the rules are set out a little bit more. There's a guy kind of dressed as a gangster who's around the table. A lot of these characters we never actually get introduced to in any with like by a name or or really any like there's a kind of a weird guy who looks like an old circus performer and there's a bunch of women around, but you don't really understand who they are in relation to the game outside of the fact that they are part of the game. 
Um, right. And the guy who looks like a gangster tells the people around the table that the winner has 24 hours to kill the loser. Otherwise, you're both dead. Which, by the way, is a very interesting concept for a movie. And they do nothing with it in this movie. <laughs> Outside like, of... Yeah, yeah. Like, no joke. The entire movie could have just been that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, yeah. and maybe that was like the original concept. and They just couldn't do it for whatever. But anyway... One thing he says is that for this particular game tonight, because they change the rules all the time, instead of using weapon cards, they're going to use the real thing. And so they bring out like a platter with some weapons on it, Mo, though I couldn't make out any of the weapons outside of the axe that was right in the middle of the thing. Yeah, I didn't see anything other than the axe either. So uh, then some ca- they, they all choose five cards, but again, it doesn't mean anything because they're just tarot cards, which don't have any meaning within an actual <laughs> card game. And then we see something very interesting, Mo. Some hands caressing a canvas. Uh, the flowing afro of Bob Ross looks at us from. No, no it's it's uh, it's it's an artist, Mo. He's covered his hands in paint, just like how he's, mm-hmm. he's fucking finger painting. He's finger painting. It's very similar to how Lord of the Dance Michael Flatley likes to put paint on his feet and river dance on canvas and then sell it for extraordinary uh, large amounts. This gentleman, sure. this gentleman does the same thing except with his fingers. So he's painting on a uh, on a canvas, and then someone knocks on the door. Mo, who is there at the door? It's Gunny. It's old Gunny Sack himself at the door. <clears throat> What's Gunny have to say? Um. Well, so I'm guessing he he like okay. So when when this first happened, I thought that these two were brothers. I could see that because he asks about his father, right. you know. And it took me a minute to realize, oh, this is Twain's son. Yes. Now, now here's the thing. I think a lot of what what led Twain to get caught up into the initial scene of the film, like all that stuff that was happening, is because I feel like he believed that they had his son. Oh, so he thought that they yeah. already had his son. Is that why? Because, I mean, that's one thing that's never explained. Why did Twain go off to this place by himself? Right. Because the murder, I yeah, please, yeah, yeah. Because I okay. Now it took me a, it took me a minute to kind of decipher this, but like I had to sit and think about like what the guy, what Billy, that's this character's name, what he said. He says he lost his car keys. Okay, and then it made me think back to the beginning of the film because uh, Hog, you know, says something about Twain's son, and then holds up. Like a lucky rabbit's foot sort of thing. Oh, which, that's right. That's you know, right. And, and I'm and I'm and I'm thinking to myself like, oh, did this movie actually just do something clever? Huh. You know, I mean, not clever enough because it took you know thirty minutes for it to be revealed, and you still had to sit and think about it to realize what had even fucking happened. I didn't even realize but, till this very second. So obviously, <laughs> the movie got one on me, and I took a lot of notes. <laughs> but, but I but I think that's what happened. I think they I think they made Twain believe that they had his son already, and that he went off to go get him, and they caught they caught him out. And uh, but meanwhile, there was nothing wrong with Billy at all, which is crazy when you think about it because like later they don't initially know that it's Billy. Yeah, they set up that the, the way that they discover who he yeah. is. Yeah, anyway, we'll we'll get to that in just a second. Yeah, we'll get to that. So Gunny but anyway. Gunny tells Billy that his dad is dead. Um and they explains about the fingers. He kind of they say that they found his body that was unrecognizable, but that's not strictly true or at all true. 
But maybe Gunny not a true at all. Maybe Gunny right. is just trying to you know make it simple on him or whatever. Or maybe the whole plot of this thing was kind of switched around as they were making it, which I could totally mm-hmm. believe. And uh, Gunny does not provide much care at all. He just says that they should go for a drink, and he needs and he asks Billy to come over to the station the next day. And then Gunny leaves, and Billy rubs paint all over his own face. Yeah, he like rubs his hand straight down his face, and actually looks kind of cool. Does look kind of cool. I also have to say, when I saw him do that, I was like, "Billy is the killer. He's involved in some way." And I was somehow wrong. I for- yeah. I forgot that in the eighties they didn't try to trick us with these things all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so back at the game, uh, everyone's having yep. a great time. Uh, the 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 gangster guy again is trying to to explain the rules in a way that's supposed to make sense. He just says that the winner needs a certain ace. The dealer deals a death card on top of the pile of cocaine. Just say no, I think. And uh, one of the players grabs the axe suddenly and chops another one in the chest. The guy who gets chopped takes off his mask, Mo, and he's the henpecked husband from before. Mm -hmm. So I guess he didn't go out gambling with his buddies after all. He ended up dying in this room. Apparently. Yeah, and like this dude like grabs like fucking like chicken wire or oh, yeah. barbed wire or something and wraps it around his head. It's actually it's actually a little gruesome. Mm-hmm. Like like it almost makes me wish that they could have gone a little bit farther with it because that could have been fucking awesome. But a- as it stands, it actually still was pretty cool. Uh, but I like the fact that he like wraps it around his face yes. and not like he doesn't try to choke him out with it. Like it's brutal. He does afterwards put it around his neck as well. Right, right, right. And then the guy, the killer, he takes off his mask and it's this black guy and he goes, I had to do it quick. I have business to attend to. I couldn't have stalked him. And then he does a whole bunch of cocaine and I kind of wish that this guy had a bigger part in the movie because he's kind of badass. <laughs> yeah, he was cool. And he never gets he his cool. comeuppance, which is even better. Yeah. No comeuppance, Mo. Yeah. <laughs> no comeuppance. Nope. So the cops, uh, by the way, at this point, it's becoming uh, very clear to you, listener, that this movie takes place basically in two buildings. <laughs> and we will be adding uh, a few buildings to that in a little bit. But at this point, it's just game, back to the cops, game, back to the cops. In this case, the cops are sitting around. and Back to the cops. The, the, <laughs> Billy comes in uh, and asks a bunch of questions. Gunny tells Billy that his, his father was a hell of an old man. And uh, then he asked if he found his car keys yet, Mo, which, again, now that makes a lot more sense now now that you've told me that thing. <laughs> and Billy says he wants to work closely with the cops on this. They tell him, like, to back off. You're not a cop, Billy, but that they'll keep him informed, but no heroics. The funny thing about this is from this point forward, he basically works alongside them for the rest of the whole movie. Yeah, and it's almost nothing but heroics on his part. Like, he's constantly doing shit he shouldn't be doing. It, despite the fact that Gunny says... Billy, don't be a hero. Don't be a fool with your life. Wow. Mm-hmm. Remember when he says that? You know, do you, uh, you remember that commercial that I for that like compilation album that 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 was on? Like I always like I like that's the only part of that song I fucking know. Oh yeah. And then like and then immediately I go into Seasons in the Sun because that was the next <laughs> song in the commercial. <laughs> That's it. Okay. Moving on to church, Mo. And I'm not just joking. <laughs> We're in church now, and we see a priest, and he's praying to the good Lord Almighty. Uh, and he's basically uh, repenting and, and uh, confessing that he's lost a lot of money gambling. 
Apparently, he owes $100,000, but if he does this game, he can win half a million, pay off his debt, and give the rest to the church. And he wonders, Mo, should he leave the priesthood? He feels very conflicted. Seems like a pretty decent guy, this here priest, Mo. Hope nothing bad happens to him. Oh, no, nothing could ever happen to him. He's a priest. On the way out, he has a good long look at a Bible verse, Mo. And this verse, do you know what this verse is, Mo? No, I, I I looked up just in time for the close-up on the word soul, so I didn't actually get a look at the whole thing. It's Mark 8.36. What doth it profit a man to gain the whole world and suffer the loss of his soul? Whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, there is a, a slow zoom on the word soul and weird pew-pew laser sounds on the soundtrack, which I enjoyed very much. <laughs> and then the priest walks to the back, and we'll see him. Again, in just a little bit, in a subplot that doesn't go very much. I mean, it goes somewhere, but not very much anywhere. Mm. So then I was very confused by this next sequence, Mo. I don't know if you were. We see two people walking down the street together. um, And one of them, for me, was visibly Billy. But I did not recognize that the other one was Gunny. Okay. The reason is because Gunny is wearing glasses as well as a red leather getup as if he was in the Beat It music video by Michael Jackson. I'm not going to lie. I didn't pay that much attention. Well, Mo, you should have paid attention to their conversation. It's very, very interesting and leads into a big clue, though I have to be honest, I don't understand why that is either. They talk about the dinner that Billy was going to have with his father before his father disappeared, and they say this. Yeah. We were going to have Italian food tonight. But he hates garlic. I know. Here. Strange, huh? Is he ordering out? I think so. That's it. Huh? Corgillo. Louis Corgillo. That's the clue. So the clue, Mo, is Corgillo. So they keep stumbling. So th- this happens a couple of times in the movie where, like, there are these, like, horribly unrelated things that happen that are magically now clues and they all work out. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? They really Batman the fuck out of this. No doubt about it. Yeah. But who is this Corgillo gentleman? Sure, he's going to be a very important character. He's not. Um,. He seems like he's basically like a dishwasher or maybe like a line cook or something mm-hmm. at some Italian restaurant who they beat up and ask and, and demand information from. Now, that's an important point, Mo, that they beat him up because that's another thing about the cops in this is that like the cops in real life, they're all pieces of shit. <laughs> and they just beat up people for no reason at all. Come on, man. Blue lives matter. Yeah. You know who? what lives don't matter, though, <laughs> is blue <Yeah>. lives. <laughs> what my wife is looking at me what's up your dad was a cop my father and my grandfather were both police officers and you know what they put their life on the line every day but be that as it may (laughs) cops are all bad Uh, anyway, moving on a little bit, they, yeah, they beat the shit out of Corgillo for no reason at all, but he does indeed give up some important information. So Corgillo knows about this young prostitute that's on the street. He's seen her a few times. I don't know what his, like, explanation of the connection between this young prostitute and the disappearance of this police officer is, but the cops are convinced that if they find this young prostitute, they'll have cracked the case. But, yeah, well, that's the thing, is, like... All of these quote-unquote clues are so tenuously connected (laughs) 
that like it's amazing that any of them actually work out. Yeah, but they all and do. Yeah, and they're, they all do. And they're totally right. This prostitute is the key to everything. Uh, she really is. So then we go back to the card game once again. Uh, we see Hog. Hog is back in the movie, Mo, and I was very glad to see him. Hog brings a lot of life to every scene he's in. I have to say, the performance that the guy who plays Hog, uh, his name is his Robert Rothman. He's actually, I think he's really good in this. Oh yeah, no, he's probably the best like actual performance in the film compared to anybody else. Yeah, he's he's great. Um, so Hog, uh, there's a woman in the room, as there often is in this movie. He sees her walking around. He says he wants her now, and she says it's not a good time. But he says right now, and then they have some uncomfortable sex, sex. Sex. <laughs> Are you looking at my headgear? They have some uncomfortable sex where she is not quite resisting, but not quite giving in. And uh, it's only slightly less uncomfortable than that final sex scene in Dracula, the Dirty Old Man. Yeah. Uh, so, but she does not seem to be enjoying it. But Hog then comes and looks at her with disgust. Uh, I'll tell you that again, it really, another moment in this movie that reminded me of my own life. <laughs> <laughs> so Corgillo is out on the street hanging out with the cops uh, good luck for a dishwasher and he's trying to point out this young prostitute but can't find her anywhere on the streets but he does point out this older woman on the street and he goes they call her grandma she knows everything two to one I don't know why he says two to one that's kind of a fucking dumb thing to say but he is pointing the cops to this uh, grandma prostitute and frankly Mo. Usually in these situations, you know, the guy's referring to her as a grandma. She's just, like, slightly older. No, this lady is fucking old. She is an old yeah. prostitute. What is she doing on the streets? She's way too old. Hey, it's a kink. It is a kink. and Don't kink shame, Doug. Don't kink shame. And then Gunny Sack himself goes over and talks to her, and they have this exchange. Want a good time tonight? Yeah. <laughs> what do you want me to do? <laughs> We don't do any weird stuff. Hey, you being out here is weird enough. Pay your money or shut up. I'm a cop. Hey, damn easy. I'm a cop. He, like, he talks to her and insults her a bunch of times, again, which is really uncool. Then he grabs her and, like, holds her arm behind her back and threatens to break it off. And her response is, hey, don't damage the merchandise. <laughs> she, so, so... While we can say that <laughs> Hog is probably you're, the you're, best, you want me to lasso the moon, Mo? <laughs> I'll lasso it and pull it down. <laughs> Sorry, please continue. Yeah, while while Hog is is the the best legitimate performance, uh, Grandma's is probably my favorite. <laughs> I like how their back and uh, forth feels so rehearsed. They're just like spitting out lines one after the other. <laughs> Right, and, and you're not wrong. She sounds just like Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> and also, Gunny it's... yells at her. He goes, "Talk, or you're gonna walk these fucking streets with one arm." <laughs> what an asshole! <laughs> and by the way, she's done nothing wrong except be a prostitute. All he wants yeah. is information, which she might give him if he just asked for it. <laughs> that was not me squeaking. That was a dog. <laughs> But yeah, exactly. All you had to do is ask. All you, you know what? That's the world for you. All you have to do is ask. Uh, she does point out after being uh, physically threatened that there is a new young prostitute on the street that calls her a little chicken. I think uh, that uh, she's only been there for eight weeks, Mo. And you know, eight weeks is exactly the amount of time that these murders have been taking place. Dun dun dun. I mean, again, they're they're 
their policeman intuition really, really is working out for him. And then grandma says, be gentle next time. I'm getting too old for this rough stuff. And she ain't kidding. She looks like she will literally break into dust if someone touches her. (laughs) Back at the card game. So am I wrong about this, that the person who puts on a skull mask is Hog in this scene? Is that correct? I don't know. Okay, well, someone puts on a skull mask and uh, enters themselves into the game. There is uh, partial nudity all over the place in this particular sequence. Um, and we see one of the women who works with the game in some capacity. She's flirting with one of the contestants and asks him to take off his mask. And she he does so. And then someone says that she's broken the rules and um, and gets kind of like yelled at about it. But she does not seem that bothered by it at all. Well, you know, you know how the rule is, you know, first offense is a write up. Second offense is a is a is a written warning. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that sort of What's thing. What's third? Getting crushed to death. Getting crushed to death. <laughs> <laughs> so Skullhead guy comes in. He says he's sorry he's late. Um, so they tell them that this is a new rule for tonight, which is that each of the contestants are being matched with one of the girls there who has a matching card. Like They all get they all. Are given cards and they match with girls and then they can go have some fun. I guess basically, I guess they get to fuck one of the girls. I'm not sure why the the organizers of the game have done this, uh, but uh, they did do. They're it. very nice people. They're nice They're people, very nice right? People. I mean, yeah. you know. Uh, so that one of the guys in a mask, in like one of the old man masks, they go to a private room. He does with one of the uh, women, um, and she says something to drink, something to eat, or will that be me? Um, Womp womp. womp womp but he seems very hesitant to munch down on her box <laughs> sorry <laughs> jesus duck <laughs> he goes i'm not really interested you have a lot of good assets it's not that because she does seem slightly offended at the fact that he doesn't want to fuck her uh and he goes i need to bear myself so to speak and we discover mo that this is that priest guy from earlier yeah. She doesn't believe him at first, but then he admits about his gambling debts. Uh, and he says that because he's a priest, he can't touch her. But, you know, he's already in $100,000 worth of damage, uh, like like uh, $100,000 in debt. Also, if he loses this game, he's going to die. He should just fuck the prostitute. <laughs> that's my, right? that's all my advice to this man. And honestly, in retrospect, he definitely should have. He absolutely should have. Back, uh, back at the stakeout, Gunny is sitting in a car. They're looking... To, they're waiting and looking, I guess, at prostitutes, as cops often do. And a gunny uh, kind of voices his frustration. I'm starting to hate Wednesday nights. Especially when you find dead bodies Thursday mornings. Is your ass on the line because you can't find out who the fuck killed him. Poor gunny. He says that he's starting to hate Wednesday nights, Mo, because they find the bodies on Thursday. You think he hates Thursdays? Because that's when they find the bodies. Right? But he hates Wednesdays. I don't like Wednesdays. I'm going to shoot. Ooh. Gunny down. We, we done? Uh-huh. Actually, Mo, right. we're really <laughs> only halfway through. <laughs> yeah, we're not even halfway through. Uh, it gets faster as it goes along. It always does. It does, yeah. Back at the game. A woman is entertaining two of the contestants, which is kind of unusual. Um, so they say that tonight's game is going to be very simple. The woman who's like giving the rules says that she's the dealer and the game 
dead man. But again, once again, these rules don't make any sense to us, the viewers. So they say that the first card will be dealt face down. And at the end, you can stay or throw in. And then the second card is dealt. And then the sa- basically the same rules. And they start playing. But um, uh, Oh, and right before they start playing, the Skullhead guy, he cuts the cards once more. Because I guess he is suspicious about the dealer. Nothing happens with this. <laughs> no. No, because they never explain what the fucking game yeah. is, like, at all. They, I mean, they tell you simple bullshit, but, like, how the fuck do we know what's going we, on? We eventually, I mean, this culminates in the skull guy grabbing the neck of another player. That player that he grabs the neck of is the priest, and the suggestion, I guess, is that Skullhead won, priest lost, and that is confirmed by the very next shot, which shows the church bells ringing, and then we see the priest impaled on a iron fence outside the church. Now, this is the first kill where they've actually, like, identified the, you know, like, they, they like, I'm, I'm trying to think of how they explain it. Like, this is the first time, like, that they, they knew he was a priest because he was killed on the church property someone, or whatever. Because someone recognized him from the congregation. Right. Right? And, and they're, they're, like, they're wondering if that's a sign that maybe they're getting off the track because this body, you're right, is identifiable while the others, as we'll see later, have been removed of a lot of identifying marks. Right, and one of them says something to the effect of "Let's hope our chicken hasn't been fried," <laughs> which made me chuckle. It's a great line. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, cops go back to their hobby, uh, watching prostitutes on the street, um, and the cops do talk to Grandma once again. She points them to the new girl who is out on the street, and the cops go and arrest her for solicitation. And uh, Gunny goes, I should tear this little chick from limb to limb. And then they slap her around, Mo, which is super inappropriate. She did nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. And then Gunny says this to her. And believe me, I really like this line. Listen, you young shit. I want some answers. I ain't doing this for my health. <laughs> Take her back by the steam pipe. So that the set. Take her. <laughs> Sorry. Take her back by the steam pipe. <laughs> Listen, you young shit. <laughs> So Billy basically tears her away from Gunny. He's playing the good cop. Gunny is the uh, forever bad cop. And Billy takes her aside. Again, Billy's been along for all of this. He's just sitting around with the cops. I guess the art world has uh, funded him uh, to do this. Um, He takes her aside. He has a Pell Grant. And (laughs) That's right. (laughs) He he has a genius grant for all the paint that he smears on his fucking face. Right, right. right. He... uh, he takes the prostitute aside. They talk. She seems to get a little more comfortable with Billy because he's young and hung and full of paint. Um, and she, who what is she? What is her name? This uh, young prostitute. Um, does she have one? She does, Mo. And I asked that question because she has a very, very stupid name. Oh, right. Her name is Map. Her name is Map. Mo. <laughs> Map. She also Map. She also appears to have braces, which is uncomfortable to look at. Uh, not because people mm. have braces uh, look uncomfortable, but because she is a prostitute, it would, and it does make her look all the more young. She tells him a little about what she's been doing. Now, I again, I had a little trouble parsing what's going on here. Some of the audio isn't great. Some of the dialogue isn't great. But she has not been working as a prostitute. Like, she's been on the streets. And- yeah, she's not, she's not a hooker. Her job is to find guys. And then she brings them to a phone. Mm. And it's if and if they deem the guy worthy to come play the game, 
then she brings them to a second phone right. where they where they talk to the guy and they give him some some instructions on how he's going to they're going to join the game. Right. But like, why would a random person who approaches her on the street, who for sex, how is does she then convince them that they should be involved in a gambling situation? Are people sent to mm-hmm. her? Because it can't be because she picks up in a, like the whole plan will be that Billy is going to pose as one of her Johns, so to speak, and then get involved in the game. I just feel like the story has all sorts of holes, Mo. Oh, you think? Uh-huh. So anyway, she takes Billy to the phone booth and uh, I guess he clears all the tests. They uh, uh, she, she, He is brought to the next booth where he talks to them directly. They have a, a terse conversation because Billy... Uh, when they say that that it's going to be another week until he can enter the game, Billy wants to get on 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 it a lot sooner than that because he's worried that if he waits a week, there's going to be more deaths because Billy is is a hero, right? Uh, but the guy seems a little perturbed by it. I actually was a little confused at the end of this conversation whether Billy had entered the game or not, but I guess he did. He sure. Back did. to the game, Mo. We find a a woman is picking through a basically, I guess. The remnants of um, Twain, uh, the stuff that was stolen from him after he got killed, or uh, or not, as we'll find out. A woman is pick, like pick, going through a pile of twenties, and she finds his police badge and looks through his wallet, Mo. And this is very, 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 very important because she finds a picture of Twain and his wife, as well as a picture of Billy. Indeed, and she plays with his gun as well. Not a euphemism. <laughs> Back with the cops. Gunny is very – yes, please. Well, I was going to say, now, th- there's also I'm, – I'm trying to think if, if I saw this correctly, but that the weird guy, not not Hog. It wasn't Hog. Right. But, like, but, like, the weirdo guy, isn't he, like, walking behind her the whole time, like, picking his teeth with, like, a scythe? Yes, he is doing that, and he's watching her as she caresses the gun. The, the, earlier, like, there's – we see another woman caress a gun, and he goes – he wags his finger at her playfully, like, no, 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 no. No guns for you, Mo. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back at the police station, the cops think that Billy is too inexperienced to be doing all this shit, and Gunny is so pissed off that he gives the best series of lines in the entire movie. Let's have a listen. You know what this fucking means? Huh? Another fucking dead body. And all I can do is sit here on my ass and wait for it to show up. This fucking job sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I will say I've seen a lot of like pissed off cops in movies. I don't think I've ever heard one of them yell out, "This fucking job sucks." <laughs> but it probably does yeah. because uh, basically you're just upholding a fascist regime, and um, <laughs> so you know maybe that's what he's upset about. Uh, God save the queen. Card game, Mo, back to the card game once again. And this is something you referred to earlier. We actually see Hogg, and he's sort of dressed in glasses and with a suit on. The, the suggestion is that he, I don't know, does does he have like a real job in the real world? Is that what the suggestion is? No, I think he might have been out looking for more players or something. They never really explain exactly why he's normed out. It's like a really interesting aspect of his character, but it does it goes completely unexplored. Which is a shame because it's actually kind of interesting. 
Well, he uh, he has been basically called back to the card room because one of the dealers, uh, uh, a young black woman, she wants out. She no longer wants to work at this game. It's never really made clear whether, like, these do these people go home at the end of the game? Do they all live in this building? Well, whatever it is, she wants out, does not want to be in there anymore. But he says, once you're in, nobody leaves. He also says that it's too bad because he was starting to develop a sensitive feeling towards her. Very unusual thing to say. Uh, and he follows that by doing what, Mo? I believe he shoots her in the head. He shoots her in the head. And then we find, uh, uh, we, we cut to a cop finding her body. And when they see show her face, it's like, it isn't even a face anymore. Yeah, it's pretty uh, mangled. Pretty mangled. And that leads him to say a very important line. Let's listen. It's beginning to remind me of a Herschel Gordon Lewis film. It reminds him, Mo, of a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie. The uh, H.G. Lewis, the famous director of uh, uh, The Godfather of Gore, they say, right? The director of Blood Feast and 2000 Maniacs. Blood Feast, Wizard of Gore. Wizard of Gore, all that great stuff. And it gave me the suggestion, Mo, that perhaps that's what this movie is supposed to be, sort of a modern version of those kind of Herschel Gordon Lewis movies where, you know, the- you know, and, and, and honestly, with the exception of the fact that it needs a lot more gore, um, it doesn't, it's, it's not off no. by much. Right. With the, with the police aspect of it where, where, the, you know, they're, they're sort of hard nosed and they're trying to search for this. I mean, it does kind of have a blood feast esque structure and sort of, and I'm and right. kind of a darkly humorous sense of humor, like 2000 maniacs. I can see the influence. It's Montag. Montag's doing it. <laughs> That's from Wizard of Gore, just for the record. Fitting in to like the garbage he was. <laughs> <laughs> and so on. Uh, Billy, old Billy, he's drinking in a bar with Gunny. Um, and I guess it's two days until he's going to uh, join the game. And then a cop comes in. They tells him that they found that other body of the, the Herschel Gordon Lewis quote. That body. And uh, Billy leaves, and the uh, other cop asks Gunny if he's going to be okay. Gunny is obviously uh, intoxicated, and Gunny responds, always, always. Then he takes out a picture of Captain Twain and basically monologues at it. (laughs) Talking about how he hopes he hasn't been too hard on Billy. He's a good kid. Reminds me a lot of you. I guess I got to pull the reins in on myself. You were always there to do. I mean, this, this is his Oscar clip. This is the actor who plays Gunny. This is his moment to shine. That actor, by the way, is Seamus Sherwood. Gunny. If, you're la- if your last name is Sherwood, don't give your kid an SH name. I mean, come on. Shusha. Shusha. Well. I- um, th- there's actually a moment in this scene that I really love, like before he starts monologuing, where the other guy, uh, the guy who's examining the body, walks in with a piece of evidence just in his hand. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, you are contaminating the fuck out of that. (laughs) We should also note, by the way, that the corpse that the guy found also had a poem with it, which I did not write down, but basically it's just like a playful mocking poem about the the death of the person. Mm -hmm. So then we see a full moon. There's some scary music. Hog has a woman... And she, he's stripping her down. This is the woman, I believe, who had the uh, customer take his mask off earlier. This is her punishment. This is, in fact, yep. 
the women in this movie, except for the one at the very beginning, don't really have names. So it was often easy to confuse them, especially because they change their makeup in almost every scene. Right. They should have had swastikas on. That would make it easier to tell. Uh, yeah, exactly. We knew swastika means Tracy. So this woman says that she didn't mean to break the rules and that she she offers him money. And he goes, what's money to me? <laughs> That's a very good supervillain thing to say. And he's not wrong. Like, you know, what does he care about money? He just wants to kill people. I will say that this actress's uh, screams are not very convincing as she kind of struggles. That that includes after what is about to happen happens. And what is about to happen is they pull a switch and the wall starts to move towards her, Mo. This is a giant crushing wall machine. Mm. And uh, in case you didn't get it, uh, as it's going towards her and starting to crush her, uh, we hear Hog say this. No! Enjoy yourself. From what I hear, it's a bone-crushing experience. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) I, I can't sigh hard enough. At that scene. I just can't. The woman is about to get crushed to death, and then they stop the machine because the woman who is with Hog, the one, uh, I guess it's its closest relationship. It's not Tracy from the beginning. It's a different woman. Uh, no. She suggests that they... Sh- I think her, I believe her name is Cat. Okay, so Cat suggests that they should keep this woman as a sex slave. So he stops the wall at the last minute, and the uh, the woman who was tied up starts to release herself. and uh, But then Hog says that he's thirsty and wants a drink. Uh, by the way, at this point in the movie, Hog has painted a spider on his forehead. Yeah, I just assumed that he had gone to Ash Wednesday. <laughs> uh, and he goes, he wants something warm, not too hot, maybe a cocktail. Turns on the wall again. This lady gets crushed, Mo, though it's not really very graphic. We do see some blood kind of flow down her hands. And old Hog, he picks up a cup, drips the blood into it because he's a sick fucker. And then uh, he closes the wall the rest of the way. And uh, and actually, he says this, which I think is very amusing. I find the sound of machinery very disturbing. <laughs> well, I don't know why he says that. But he does. Well, he does find the sound mm-hmm. of machinery very disturbing. He brushes the blood over the woman's lips. She does the same to him. Then she goes, down on your knees, hog. And then they basically strip down and rub blood all over each other. Then they fuck. <laughs> They do. They do, Mo. They they fuck with a bunch of blood. And this is the mid-80s, so that's, I mean, that's more dangerous than you might think. Well, you know, AIDS. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Back to not, the everybody, bl- not everybody has Magic Johnson money, you know? <laughs> not, not everyone has a Magic Johnson. Um, wow. So, uh, back at the police station, the police have really hit on an important clue. Apparently, in Twain's office, there's a bunch of doodles of a pig. Or different pigs. And they have, uh, they they don't really understand that this is a clue at the moment, but we'll get back to it in a second. But I, I mean, is it that uncommon for a police o- uh, office or a, a police station to have a bunch of pictures of pigs around Mo? Because my understanding is that a lot of people refer to police officers as pigs. Well, I, well, I was going to say, I don't know how, how common it is to have a bunch of pictures of pigs in there, but I mean, there's certainly a bunch of pigs in there. So here's the thing. That sex scene that we just had with all the blood... It went on for a really long time. It kind yes. of felt like they were trying to maybe drag out the movie a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we are, we are hitting like prime filler time in this movie. I mean, there's less like, than a half hour left in it, but 
This but the- there'd be. But let's put it this way: if they didn't fill out, the, if they didn't pad it out, there'd be about seven minutes left of the movie. People push back on me on this all the time: the idea that a movie that that a lot of people when making movies want them to be ninety minutes. That is the common distributed number from like right. the seventies and eighties, right? I mean, that's the number that you want to hit. Yeah, it's not the number that you need to get in film festivals these days. I get it, but the the people who made this movie wanted their movie to be ninety minutes. I have no doubt about that because. We get to meet Alexandra next, Mo. They've brought in the exotic dancer to the game room. Her name is yes. Alexandra. So anybody anybody who follows our uh, Facebook group, uh, th- this this is the scene I was talking about when I posted earlier. Um, or I well that earlier doesn't mean shit to anybody on the group, right? Who's listening to this? But I posted <laughs> about this scene. Like this is how you do filler. You know, you throw some neon lights in the background. You pump up them that that uh, pew, you know that <laughs> that solar flare uh, digital effect, and you have an exotic dancer come out and strip. And she's a capable uh, exotic dancer. We I don't want to I don't want to mock her at all. She's obviously a very talented I'm not, dancer. I'm not mocking at all. She's a talent. You know, uh, she is also woman. And- also, obviously, not in the same frame as almost everybody who's watching her. There's all these cutaways, right. but there's only one person in a mask that she interacts with, and that's like it. It's obviously this stuff was filmed separately, right? And then after she's finished her dance, which does go on for quite a bit. Uh, they come like out. Someone comes out and says, "Now that you have all been witness to tonight's booby prize, I'm sure you will all be ready for the game. The booby prize, Mo. That's because they saw some boobies." Oh, is that why they call it that? Mm-hmm. And then the woman deals out the cards, and he tells one of them. They tell one of them that he's the winner. And uh, I again, I don't understand what the rules are. So him being the winner doesn't mean anything, and we don't see another murder at this moment. So it, it, it's kind of a wasted sequence. Yeah. But what isn't a wasted sequence is back at the police station, Mo, where Gunny is trying to get to the bottom of all these pig doodles, and and suddenly he has a eureka moment, and it sounds like this. I know there's something here, but what the fuck is it? <laughs> Shit! Hey, Gunny, do you see the sports page? The Redskins traded Luther. Doodles. See, I got doodles, and I got a diddlehead for an assistant. He wants to talk sports. <laughs> So he follows this up immediately with his Eureka moment, and he discovers in his brain that the pig- It's not a pig. It's a hog. Yeah, it's a hog. He goes, hogs, 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 that's it. It's Hector Hog Johnson, uh, someone he's familiar with. He's a maniac, they said. In fact, he says one day he was seeing a shrink, and he shrunk him, which I don't know what that means at all. No idea. I love the fact that his name- is Hog Johnson. Yeah. Like, like, how is there not a porn star out there named Hog Johnson? I don't know, Mo. But uh, but yeah, so this is a, a criminal that they're already familiar with, uh, which again, actually doesn't help them that much because they don't know where Hog Johnson is. Nope. Uh, so uh, back at the game, one of the players that's around the table, again, we don't know who any of these people are. He loses the game. He grabs one of the women he says, I can't die. It's not right. And he threatens the killer. Then he throws the girl at them and runs. And then the guy who win, who won this game, uh, the guy running the game goes to to a victim, the spoils. And then uh, he brings out a chainsaw. The guy revs it up and laughs. And uh, then 
the Kai says to the remaining players, gentlemen, don't feel neglected. Please come with me. You're both eligible for the booby prize. So they make that booby prize joke again. Yeah, they make it several times. Yeah. Uh, um, now, here's the thing. If they had cut out the dance number and instead pushed this scene up and then followed the dude with the chainsaw out I to know. fucking cha- chase the dude who who lost, how much fucking cooler I would know. that scene this, have been? This movie is missing a chainsaw murder. Big time, especially because don't, it, it don't just, show me a chainsaw. You know what they say about about like you know you show a gun in Act One, it's going to go off in Act this Three. This is Chekhov's chainsaw, right? This is th- like don't show me a fucking chainsaw, and then don't and then not give me a chainsaw murder. I mean, that's the. I mean, look, you know what they say? It's blood beast. Don't show a chainsaw without showing a chainsaw murder. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> so a cop a cop does indeed find the body of whoever gets killed by the chainsaw, but we don't get to see it. So, what's the big whoop, right? Right. Billy's on the phone. Uh, he's on a payphone. He's getting instructions on how to join the game. Oh, actually, he's, actually, he's on a phone at his house. Um, it is hard to hear what he is saying. Um, Gunny at the same time has one of his officers trying to call Billy, but they can't locate him. They break in his door. Gunny at this point is wearing the dumbest outfit. In the world. Yeah, me and Doug were both confused by this yeah. outfit because magically he's wearing something around his head that we both assumed was a bandage. Yes. But we're fairly certain it's probably a bandana, like a headband. Like a headband, like he was one of the members of the gangs in Big Trouble in Little China or something. Right, but it's <laughs> but it's dirty. He's also wearing this pink shirt. And again, yeah. I'm not mocking it because it's pink. I'm mocking no. it because it looks fucking ridiculous on this man. Exactly. Remember that he is supposed to be a high-ranking police officer. Remember it, Mo. I remember. So they find a note uh, at Billy's place, uh, and apparently it makes some reference to the fact that he's gone to a warehouse. And he goes, warehouse? He thinks he can do this all by himself? One of the cops goes, do you want an all points? And Connie's response is, nah, we need to use those little gray cells. So instead of having backup... I guess he just wants to check every warehouse in town until they find him. When wouldn't it be a lot faster just to get all the cops around to go to one warehouse each? Yeah. Here's the thing about that, Mo. Not a lot of cast members. (laughs) (laughs) But you can pretend. Yes, we can. That's right. And, And using the power of imagination, anything is possible. It's true. Billy, is this... That's, that's how I imagine that chainsaw death. <laughs> four stars out of four for cars of death. <laughs> Billy is now outside by a payphone. One of them rings. He says, yeah, it basically is explained to him where the game is. Then we go back to the game. We see a woman with juggalo-ish makeup on and another woman that she's with. I think one of them is Tracy from the very opening scene. Uh, it is. They're basically torturing a bandaged-up person, Mo. Yes, ba, ba, ba. it's exactly as you think, ladies and gentlemen. It is the fiend from Science Crazed. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, let me get my calisthenics outfit on. Uh, it uh, It is not the fiend, it just looks kind of like it. It is a very bandaged gentleman, and they make some reference to the fact that maybe they're going to relieve him, the captain, they say, of his toes, or maybe his feet. This is Captain Twain, Mo. He's still alive. Thank goodness. They then proceed to torture him. With a phone cord. And it reminded me, Mo, that those like stretchy phone cords that were very popular in the 80s and 90s, like children died from getting choked by those all the time. 
Did they? They did. That was a very common oh. thing. Children put them around their neck, and then they would die, like 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 really young kids. So uh, that's why you don't. I I don't think you see those very often anymore. Oh yeah, no. We uh, well, we had uh, you know, like our cord was like fourteen feet long, so it was never an issue. The women then show their breasts to him because he is the director. <laughs> and now we're getting to the climax mode. This is the most important part. Billy finally arrives at the building. Now remember, Billy is in some uh, some uh, measure of threat, not only because he's joining a game which is life or death, but that one of the people in this room has seen his picture in a wallet. I will admit, I thought that the woman who saw his picture was the same one that got crushed to death, but apparently it was a different woman entirely. No, it was Cat. It was Cat, probably. Yeah. The uh, woman who got crushed to death didn't have a name. Didn't have a name. Uh, well, she was just a crushed woman, I guess. Uh, yep. So Billy gets into the game. He meets Hog. I guess like the, the the people who are participants, they show up like way before the game and just look around or something. I guess that's what he's doing. Um, Hog uh, brings him into a room where the game is going to be played. He uh, tells him to bring out the money. Billy gives the money to uh, the woman that's there as well. Hog asks him his name. He says his name is Bobby Hopkins, which is a lie, Mo. Bobby. Damn it, Bobby. <laughs> Damn it, Bobby. No, I cannot do that. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you keep calling me Bill? <laughs> that's, that's closer. Um, so uh, they do cut back to the torture session in the other room. The the Tracy is mentions that she likes having the captain all to herself. She thinks it's a kinky thing to play around with this mutilated uh, uh, man. Uh, and she again is showing off her nipples and threatening the captain's eye with a knife that she has. So, climax time. Billy is having the game explained to him. It says winner takes all and loser forfeits everything. Again, the, the rules do not make sense to anybody. A woman leans over and whispers in Hog's ear. And then, yeah. obviously, he knows that Billy isn't who he says he is. Bum, bum, bum. And then that leads to this. Well, you know, I'm, a, I'm the kind of guy that likes to take chances. Oh, I bet. Tell me something. Uh... Billy boy. <laughs> you miss your daddy? You miss your daddy? He also says, Hog says, you got a lot of huff, but you got no puff. Take him to the crush room. <laughs> <laughs> so they tie up Billy and they take his shirt off and we get that beefcake that I was referring to at the beginning, Mo, because they even start to take his pants off. Not far enough as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, me too. So they start to uh, like uh, torture him a bit. Uh, and then Hog uh, wakes him up because I guess he fainted or something. He goes, Billy boy, wake up. Wake up, Billy. There's something I want you to see. So don't leave us yet. And they bring in his father, Mo, his bandaged up father. Bum, bum, bum. And, the, and the father goes, <laughs> you're alive. And he, and Todd goes, but you're not, Billy. Not for long anyway. Uh, <laughs> they basically, he, he made, sorry. No, I was just going to say, like, Hawk, he's such pure scum. Yeah, he's like, great. He's, he's terrific. So entertaining, yeah. They, they basically say that his, his Billy's father was a tough old bird, but Billy's like a canary, and they're going to carve him into little pieces. So they turn on the crusher, and when that happens, Twain, Captain Twain, even though he's been uh, through the ringer, he breaks free, he knocks over the girls, he knocks out Hog, and he chokes uh, Tracy, I think, to death. Um, and uh, even though she tries to say... 
don't you like Tracy? Tracy likes you. Mo, you didn't like her talking to the third person. And my, my, I actually wrote the joke. I said, I said, Twain fights back and kills Tracy in the third person. Yeah, that's right. And the other girl somehow gets knocked in front of the crushing machine and gets crushed, even though it appears that she could very easily have gotten out of the way of the crushing machine. Well, the thing that's funny is that like those hydraulic crushing machines, like they're not going to stop just because one pesky little body gets in the way. Sure. So, but but man, does it like she's she she gets knocked right into the uh, into the corner there, and it just stops. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because she she doesn't like fully die because they're able to stop it. And anyway, we'll get to that in just a second. The editing here is really choppy, so it's kind of hard to tell what the fuck is going on. Right. We also see while this is going on that the cops apparently have found this warehouse and there's a bunch of cop cars outside. I don't know how they managed to to swing that, but there are a bunch of cop cars. Um, the woman is mostly crushed. Hog seems very upset about it. He goes, "You were so good," and then uh, but then he has to run off because the cops are there. Uh, but again, that's Cat who's been crushed, and it appears that she's still alive at the end. Maybe that's the setup for the sequel. Mm. Gunny bursts in to the room, into like the main game room, wearing his stupid outfit. He finds the masks and the poker table. Hog arrives in the same room, uh, and, and Hog is surprised to discover that there were police there. Billy tried to kind of bluff him, just like his father did at the beginning, saying that the place was surrounded by cops. And Billy was bluffing, but since the cops are there, he goes, Billy was fucking right, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so uh hog uh yells at the cops to kill him but then he goes for a gun and then gunny grabs it first and now he picks up two guns and uh then hog gives the immortal line i don't die motherfucker hog says he doesn't die but then he i love yeah please yeah then he immediately then he immediately dies but I love, I love, love, love the fact that he tries to attack a guy holding two guns <laughs> with, like, a little fucking gardening tool. So what is this tool that he has? I don't know what the name of it is specifically, but it's like, it's, you know, it's that little... Hand like, claw thing. Ha- hand claw rake looking thing exactly. that's got, like, three three prongs. And he ends up uh, getting... Like they get into like a little bit of a scuffle because obviously Hog attacks the cop with it, and he ends up getting knocked over, and he lands right on the tool, yeah. and it buries itself into his chest. Yeah, and then he rolls over, and Gunny fucking well, actually before he rolls over, Gunny steps on him to make sure that it embeds further. But yeah, so he is uh, hoisted on his own petard, Mo. Uh, except <laughs> the petard in this case is this screw, like like uh, claw thing. Right. He rolls over. He dies. Um, <laughs> the other cops are just watching it happen. <laughs> and if you thought there was going to be some huge payoff here where everyone gets arrested, no. It cuts right to the cops all celebrating the next day with Billy. They're all drinking. They're, like, mocking Billy, saying that he's going to become a police officer. Now, they're just having a great time. And they also mention that his father is going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> Yeah, he's going to be fine. They gave him a plastic face. <laughs> and, like, everyone just accepts that that is, like, the greatest thing. It's like, yeah, he's going to be just fine. He's going to have a plastic face now, so no problem. Like, his dad has to be horribly traumatized from, like, days and days of torture. But, no, he's yeah. going to be just fine. So they drink. They uh, they mock Billy. And and then the, the movie basically is over. 
Except it cuts to Twain in a hospital and a nurse approaches him. And what's this all about, Mo? Who's, who's this nurse? Well, here's the thing. The nurse is named Tracy. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. It is not the same actress. Uh, it's just happening. <laughs> not the same actress. Just the same name. Now, here's the one of the most confusing <laughs> scenes in the entire fucking movie. Because this movie that has been fairly serious. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, through, through the whole thing. Um, you know, we meet, we meet nurse Tracy, you know, she checks his IVs and then walks off and he immediately pulls a, like a small, like hip flask of Jack Daniels Uh out from under his sheet. And because he's missing a thumb on one hand or maybe even both hands, he is now having a hard time opening said flask. So he's. And he's got a little cup, and he keeps trying to pour it into the cup. And like it turns into this whole comic relief scene, yes. where he's you know he's pouring alcohol all over himself. He ends up getting a little bit into the cup, and he drinks it, and then decides to be better off to just pour the entire bottle on your face. Which, by the way, <laughs> by the way, if you had gaping open <laughs> wounds on your face and you poured alcohol on yourself the way that he does, he would be in horrific pain. So, so well, he's probably on a lot of painkillers, but there, Fair enough. there is this broad comic scene to end the movie. Now this plays out while the closing credits are, are rolling over it. So this is the entire right. closing credits is him trying to drink this fucking booze and looking like it's just ridiculous and you're supposed to find it funny. And it is funny, Mo, but not because of the booze part, because of the song that's playing over the closing credits. Now, we mentioned this at the very beginning of the movie. This uh, this song is called uh, Cards of Death, written and composed by Anna Ferraro. And we're going to play a little bit of it now until Mo and I can no longer stand it. Just have a little listen. This one will go down in history with the closing song from Las Vegas Bloodbath. And, of course, the closing song from both uh, Fungicide and, most notably, Suburban Sasquatch. Let's have a little listen. Listen to the vocals. The wrong direction, my friend You won't like what you will find in the end You better pay more attention to those warnings in your head Change your direction or you may end up here I don't want to lose Tonight. Anyway, that gives you a sense of what that's all about. I'm actually going to put the full song at the uh, end of the episode so everyone can listen to it. I've also yes. t- I've also cut out the entire closing credits and put it on both our Facebook group and our Twitter feed. So you can definitely check that out. But needless to say, that song just gets better and better. And if you're wondering if it eventually gets to her saying the cards of death, yeah, she does. It's amazing. Mo, anything interesting about this closing credits? Um, I mean, I know they, they there's trailers for the film afterwards, but I didn't watch those. No, the, 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 there are trailers at the end of the, this particular release. It does say during the credits that the movie was made in Hollywood. Hollywood, California, Mo. 
You're from Memphis, Tennessee. I'm from Hollywood. Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, you, oh you're doing your Andy Kaufman just then. See? I'm from Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> Let me show you what this is. This is called toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> Memphis, Rest in peace, Jerry Lawler's son. Um, Sorry. I'm bringing the thing down. That was 1986's Cards of Death. Uh, I have to admit, I had a lot of fun with it. It is exactly the kind of shit that we we do tend to enjoy here on uh, No Budget Nightmares. Oh, yeah. I had a blast with it. Yeah. It could probably have benefited from being cut down by probably at least 15 minutes and maybe having a chainsaw death here and there. Uh, but I have to say that when the the movie got a little slow, Gunny was always there to pick things back up. I love Gunny. He's my favorite character. I love Hog. He's also my favorite character. Two characters are my favorites. Double favorites on this episode of No Budget Nightmares. That's I'm just so I'm just so glad to have watched a movie that I managed to enjoy to some extent from start to finish. Mm-hmm. But that's it, Mo. Cards of Death. You can, as I mentioned before, see it on Shudder.com. I believe the DVD is also still uh, available uh, in some uh, capacity on Amazon. Check out Cards of Death from the year 1986. It was a lost movie for many, many years. 28 years. But now you can see it. We saw it. We talked about it. And that's it, Mo. Uh, Mo, what are we going to watch on the next episode of No Budget Nightmares? All right. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, I, I, well, I mean, I you you told me what year it was from. I totally forgot, but uh, but the film is called Phobe. The movie from the year nineteen ninety five is called Phobe, the Xenophobic Experiments. This one's been highly recommended for a long time. I believe there's a special edition DVD by Intervision out there that you can get a Phobe, the Xenophobic Experiments. My understanding is that it's Canadian, so you know I have a particular interest ah. in it. Uh, directed by Erica Benedicti. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Directed by Erica Benedicti and written by Erica Benedicti. It's Phobe. The Xenophobic Experience from the year 1995 on the next episode of No Budget Nightmares. Mo, where can people find out what this whole No Budget Nightmares thing is all about? Well, I mean, if they want, they can hop right over onto that Facebook thing. What? Go to to Facebook.com slash groups slash No Budget Nightmares. All one word. You can also, of course, go to NoBudgetPodcast.com. Check out our archives. You can sign up via iTunes. You can also support us on Patreon, uh, like Michael Fitzgerald did recently. Thanks so much, Michael. Uh, and uh, he you just can, of does course- it. He just does it so he can hear his name on the show. Well, he is self self obsessed. I mean, we I think we both realize that. And Michael is a longtime listener <laughs> and supporter. And he did force us to watch his movie, which we what was it called again? <laughs> Oh, wow. Uh, what, it was, what was it called? It, it was Victor, Victor Juliet's Juliet director's, director's cut. cut. Yeah. Of course. Uh, no Budget Nightmares classic. Um, and uh, yes, you can also follow No Budget Nightmares on Twitter at. Uh, e- e- sorry, I'm really fucked all this up. You can follow No Budget Nightmares on Twitter at No Budget Podcast. Uh, you can check out all our latest updates mm-hmm. on there as well, Mo. And Mo, you have a fairly new podcast. I do. Going pretty good. Uh, it's called. All right, Al- moving on. <laughs> <laughs> it's going good. Good night, everybody. Uh, yeah, it's called Alt Dot Nerd Dot Obsessive. Uh, it's about fandoms and nerdy obsessions and all that sort of fun stuff, pop culture, blah blah blah. Um, yeah, you can find that over on AfterMovieDiner.com. Big thanks to uh, John for uh, hosting us over there. 
And if you cannot get enough of Mo and myself interacting, you can also listen to the latest Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man episode. Yeah, Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man is my other podcast. And Mo guested on our most recent episode talking about a a horror film called Scavenger Killers made by a real piece of shit. Uh, Mo, of course... Mo, of course, enjoyed it a lot. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I'm not going to lie. Outside of the politics of it, I actually kind of enjoyed the movie. Uh, I'm a bit of a piece of shit, too. So, (laughs) Well, you can hear Mo being a piece of shit uh, over at ericrobertsoftheman.com or follow us on Twitter at E-R-I-T-F-M. Both Mo and myself are also both on Twitter. Mo is there at DrunkOnVHS, and I'm there at Doug underscore Tilly. That's (gasps) T-I-L-L-E-Y. Mo, have you seen any interesting movies lately. Well, I watched this real piece of shit called Scavenger Killer. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> uh, honestly, like I haven't been focusing on movies much lately, if I'm being honest. Um, like I'd have to open up my my Netflix account right now to do it. And my computer is so. Let's over- not risk it. Yeah, overloaded with bullshit right now that I, I don't think that I could get away with it. But I did watch The Mac uh, within the last few days because uh, I recorded last night with Mike White for the Projection Booth podcast. Uh, I believe that episode should be dropping next week, I want to say. It's, yeah, it's it's August 5th or 6th, around that time. So keep an eye out for that. Well, Mo, I've seen a couple of movies that showed at uh, the Fantasia Film Festival this year. Mm. One of them is called One Cut of the Dead. And it is about – this is a really interesting concept. It's a Japanese zombie movie. Yeah, I've heard about this. About a film crew that are making – yeah, like a a one-shot, half-hour, live zombie movie. And that is the first half hour of the movie. You see this playing out one shot. And, it's, you know, it's pretty good. It's amusing and all that. And then after it ends, you see the closing credits of this movie and everything. Then it cuts back to how the movie came together. Like, uh, this, is, again, is all fictionalized. And then you see the entire filming again from behind the scenes. Again, all fictionalized. And the movie turns from being good to fucking amazing. I mean, it really becomes something special, especially in that last half hour, which makes like it it makes the first half hour better because of what you see in it. It is I would say everybody should go out of their way. It has one of the kind of most this hard to say, it's weird to say, but it has one of the most heartwarming endings I remember seeing in a movie in recent history. And man, huh. I think we could all use a little heartwarmingness uh, uh in recent years. Even, uh, even was, more heartwarming than the uh, than the final scene of uh, Train to Busan. <laughs> yes, even more heartwarming than that. I also saw a movie, a little movie, a little indie movie called Ready Player One uh, by a Stefan Spielberg. Uh, <laughs> Ready Player One, I was prepared to tolerate it. I have to say that even though the first half of it I found very difficult, the second half I found to be very watchable. So it all evened out to a movie that's pretty okay. Yeah, I'm a little worried about that one because, like, as much as I probably shouldn't have, I really enjoyed the book, you know, and uh, so it it seems like it'd be the sort of thing that'd be a little tough to translate, but, you know, I'll give it a go at some point. It's Spielberg. How bad could it be? Well, that's a fair point. I mean, you know, even his worst movies are okay. Well, this one is okay, So, yeah. at least according to me. I also watched uh, the Baz Luhrmann's The Great Gatsby, which was not okay. I thought it was very not good. Mm. Yeah, I have, no, <laughs> I, I have no interest in that. So, Well, I didn't either, but I watched it for a podcast. Mo, I feel like 
that's just about it. Are you sure there's nothing else you've watched recently that you want to expand upon before we finish up? Uh. No, I no, I haven't been like I, I've been playing video games more than anything, which which I should remind people that if they want to uh, watch some of that gameplay footage, they can go over to YouTube and do a search for alternate obsessive podcast uh, and, and go watch me and my buddies uh, play games. Uh, the footage itself is pretty standard, you know gameplay footage but we have a a, a fun rapport with uh, me and the guys that i play with so there's still there's still fun videos fun rapport consider me jealous <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty standard video game shit you know we're just talking crap to each other the whole time on the next episode of no budget nightmares it's 1995's phobe the xenophobic experiments join us in just a few weeks mo i think it's time to say good night Oh, good night. Good night. You're heading down the wrong direction, my friend. You won't like what you will find in the end. You better pay more attention to those warnings in your head. Change your direction or you may end up of gold Escape from all your troubles At least that's what you're told The power you are seeking is in the cards you hold It's just your life you're catching if you dare to be so bold Beware, beware Beware The cards of death of death.